Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, we are back. I am Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. Uh, What do the years 2020, 2024, 2028, 2032, 2036, and 2040 have in common? There are presidential election years in the United States, their summer Olympics are scheduled to occur, and their leap years when February gets an extra day and is 29 days long. Today is leap year, y'all. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. By the way, you know why it's called leap year? Well, a common year is 52 weeks and one day long. That means that if your birthday were to occur on a Monday one year, the next year it would occur on a Tuesday. However, the addition of an extra day during a leap year means that your birthday now leaps over a day instead of your birthday occurring on a Tuesday as it would following a common year during a leap year. Your birthday leaps over Tuesday and will now occur on a Wednesday. You're welcome. And welcome to our People in the News, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today we are talking with special guest Jared Lovelace, husband, father, seventh generation Texan, so his kids are eighth. I think that's 160 years in Texas, we'll ask him. Army captain, infantry veteran, entrepreneur, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Eagle Scout, a linguist in German and Arabic. Jared is running for U.S. Congress District 10 because he feels burdened by the thought of our national debt destroying the American dream for our children. Many issues at stake, but nothing will destroy our country faster than financial collapse, he says. Hello, Jared. How are you today? Great, great. Thanks for having me, Steve. My pleasure, and always thank you for your service, first off. Um, Am I right that eight generations of Lovelaces is about 160 years? Yeah, approximately. Um, That's 1883, like the TV show with uh, Tim McGraw and Faith Hill. Yep, we go way back. We've been largely in the same county for that amount of time, too, so a lot of roots here in Texas. What brought them to Texas originally? Well, uh, there's multiple branches that came from from Europe in different places, Denmark, Germany, Czech Republic, um, even Italy, but uh, and also Scotland. Um, the the family that we trace back to the strongest here in, in Fayette County, where I reside, um, are the Brants. And uh, it was a couple of brothers, uh, four, I believe they're 14 and 16. They, they came over from Germany and they they had the family's money and they were they were responsible for buying land in Texas so that the rest of the family can come over and, and you know, enjoy the freedom that, that was offered here and get away from religious persecution in Europe and religious wars. And that's how it all began. Wow. Yeah, that's okay. But unlike the Duttons, your family didn't leave Texas for Montana. You stayed there. Uh, any notable family members over those many years? It was only uh, 50 years earlier the Texas Constitution was created, 1833. Yep. Yep. I mean... A lot of different relatives throughout history that have been involved in different uh, historical events. We we did have a German relative uh, who fought in the Civil War um, on, on the side of the South. And it's interesting, he actually kept a journal of his experiences in German. And and then the journal got copied and uh, and then it, he loaned it to a friend and then the, the friend's house burned down and the copy got destroyed. But the original is still somewhere out there. So that's kind of like my real life treasure hunt that I'm looking for. But Oh, um, wow. Other than that, my great grandfather died in, in the Battle of the Bulge during World War II. 
and uh you know those, those are probably the most notable uh figures from history but all right well thank him for his service too um these fires seem pretty out of control Eight hundred fifty thousand acres and still going uh what can you tell us about those is it being contained yet yeah i'll be honest i don't i don't know a whole lot about those fires i just read about them this morning they're way up north um north of amarillo so not not really close to me where I'm at. I'm kind of like right in the center of the the Houston, Austin, San Antonio trifecta. Um, so I, I don't have any pertinent information really to share. Okay, well that's a good segue because I did want you to describe to us foreigners, us Tennesseans, uh, District yeah. Ten. Uh, tell us about District Ten, what the demographics are, what kind of voters you can expect in this coming election. Sure. So uh, District Ten. Uh, stretches from the western edge of Houston over to Austin, and then it kind of is gerrymandered to wrap around Austin. It doesn't include Austin itself, but it wraps around Austin and has um, some wealthy suburbs that 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 are uh, west of Austin. And then we also go north up to College Station, Texas, and Madisonville. Um, and all in all, from one corner to the other, it can take about four hours to drive, depending on Austin traffic. It's largely a very rural district. Um, a lot of a lot of rural farmers, ranchers, and uh, the, the biggest urban areas are the, the suburbs west of Houston, um, west of Austin, and then the College Station, Bryan area where Texas A&M University is. Okay. I was there once before Dell moved in and Austin was an amazing place. Live music, the quality of Stevie Ray Vaughan every yeah. night, flat and dusty, but amazing. And then Dell moved in. Is that one of the main reasons why the demographics of Austin have changed so dramatically? I mean, there's a lot of factors. Um, you know, Dell has been there for a bit now and there's, there's a, Pretty huge influx of, of people moving to the Austin area from California, for example. Um, Texas, you know, we, we've, we've got lower taxes. We like to think of ourselves as more free. And uh, that's very appealing to a lot of a lot of people that live elsewhere. And so, um, it, that, I mean, the cultural vibe in Austin is pretty cool, but it's also central Austin can be fairly liberal um, for the same reasons. And uh, anyway, so it. It is. It is. It's kind of. It's kind of the California of Texas, but we still claim it. The California of Texas. I like that. Um, and I hope you do well in your election. But first off, I have one question about your campaign that I read in my intro. Um, okay. It's true. It's true. The debt is killing us, but I think illegal immigration will kill us quicker. What is Governor Abbott doing to stop the invasion across the Rio Grande? Um, so. The, the illegal immigration, first off, it, it's not a new issue. And I think that's something that a lot of people have forgotten. And, and, and that part of the premise behind why I decided to run right now, the, the debt is important. And, and, and the reason that I kind of harp on the debt a lot is because the border is affected directly by our national finances. Okay? And we'll, we can get into that more later. But as far as as far as the border, it's not a new issue. It's been a serious issue for decades now. And a lot of Republicans are jumping all over the border right now because it's primary season and it's it's popular to do so. But what I ask our career politicians, both in Washington, D.C. and in Austin, is over the last 20 years, what what results have we gotten um, with, with, with you being in office? Right. And uh, I think Governor Abbott's doing a good job of pushing back against the federal government and doing his best to uh, protect Texas as the governor 
even when the federal government isn't doing its job to do so, right? And and so I I like the push and pull back and forth between the state and the federal government. I think that we need to continually be defining what is pertinent for states' rights and and what what the federal government should be in charge of. And when the federal government doesn't keep up its end of the bargain, you know what 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 are states allowed to do? And and what is what are those inalienable rights that a state has? You know what I mean to defend itself. So um, generally. I'm, I'm favorable towards what Governor Abbott's been doing. I think we could have done a lot more a lot sooner, but um, I'm glad that he's pushing back against the federal government. Okay. It was only three weeks ago that the feds told Texas to take down the razor floating barriers and hand back Shelby Park so the illegals could continue to come in near Eagle Pass. Um, there was talk of Civil War 2.0, I'm old enough to remember, kicking off right there. That all disappeared. How, how did it get resolved? Yeah, so I'll be honest. I have been so busy running a campaign that I'm only hitting the wave tops of, of of the back and forth between Austin and Washington D.C. with regards to the border. Um, so I, I am not I'm not in the middle of those discussions. I don't have a whole lot of insights into that. At the end of the day, what needs to happen is the federal government needs to stop, particularly our legend, our, our Congress, right, needs to stop creating bills that basically say it's okay for people to come over illegally, right? The federal government, the executive branch needs to stop making it okay for people to come illegally and stay. What I can share with you is I have 13 counties in my district. And as I travel across these counties to town halls and candidate forums, um, I, I always make a point to go talk to the county attorney or the district attorney and the sheriff in, in that county. And the resounding feedback that I'm getting from these local elected officials is they're very frustrated that they can't do anything about the illegals that they apprehend uh, in, in crimes, right? So we're coming across illegal immigrants all the time just by way of traffic stops, uh, petty crime, and you know the, these people will come spend a night in jail, they'll get processed like everybody else, but basically it's either on the county to pay for the expense of like main or, or, or of, of imprisoning these illegal immigrants, which counties don't have a lot of money to be able to do that. Or they just get released because the federal government doesn't have a system right now. They don't enforce the law at all. And so our local officials are super frustrated because they're catching them, but nothing's happening and they just get released back into, into our society. So uh, there, there is a whole lot of work that needs to do that needs to happen at the, at the federal level in order for this situation to get improved. So Congressman from Tennessee, Mark Green, uh, is the chairman of the Homeland Security, and they are in the majority right now, and they voted to impeach Mayorkas uh, last week. Would you have voted with him in favor of that? Oh, yeah. The, one of the big things I'm running on is results. So it doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you talk about something or how much you jump up and down on you know about an issue. If, if you're not getting results, then someone else needs to step in and start getting some results in, in, in the business world. If, if you're not as an executive, if you're not uh, bringing in profit or giving return to your investors and your shareholders, then like, you're not gonna be around very long in, in the military. When I was serving, it doesn't matter how much you talk about stuff, how much, how many great ideas you had. If you didn't get results for your commander, you didn't stay in command and you didn't get a favorable rating compared to your peers. Right. And so what I, you know, 
Secretary Mayorkas, what results has he got? The the national security crisis on the border is worse than it's ever been before. So, absolutely, I would have voted. I would have voted to impeach him because he's not he's not doing his job and he hasn't he hasn't been effective at it, right? And mm-hmm. we need to hold not just not just the executive branch, right? It's easy to poke, poke fingers at you know at, at the current administration, and and we should. However. This primary season is about making sure that we have the right Republicans going to Capitol Hill that can actually get results and not just spend trillions and trillions of dollars over the course of 20 years and not have anything to show for it. So absolutely, I would have voted for it. Okay. Uh, The government has sort of figured out this little loophole in the last decade or two, and I would almost consider it a war on Texas. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, but they've outsourced a lot of this to NGOs. Uh, there are a lot of NGOs operating out of Texas to uh, make this invasion all the more possible with money that the taxpayers don't actually get to see because yep. they're non-government organizations. Are you aware of that, and are you fighting that? Oh yeah, we we've got we've got one in our in, a, in our district um, down in Colorado County in Eagle Lake. There's a facility that was purchased a few years ago. Uh, it used to be in uh, a senior care facility, and now it's it's housing uh males kind of young young men um from you who are legal immigrants who who've been caught and it's a it's basically a facility where they're you know fostering them for a while and then they release them into our society when it's all over uh i think my 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 opponent uh offered support to that facility uh the people of colorado county were outraged because they're, these these young men are being released back into their community and they're being sucked up into drugs and crime and and and, and gangs and cartels and stuff and it's, it's it's affecting their community in a very real way right so it's absolutely happening um the federal government it, its job is to protect our citizens right and it's 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 not meant to handle like we don't have to solve every single humanitarian issue in the world and i think we're kind of addicted to doing that but once again, tying into the debt, if we keep spending money on everything, we're going to continue to run a deficit until it's too late, right? And so federal funds shouldn't be going to these NGOs that are they're helping people on the border or that are coming over from the border. Um, what private citizens did decide to do with their money is totally up to private citizens, right? But the federal government should not be empowering people to break the law and get away with it. If I break the law, then like I don't I don't get away with it, right? I, I can't just break the law and, and expect to not have to, you know, have to deal with the consequences of that. And we need to enforce the law so that people are disincentivized from coming <coughs> illegally. And and that's that's what the federal government's role is. And and they're they're quite frankly, they're failing at it. They're sending money to these NGOs. They shouldn't be. Um we have to protect our own citizens and and then once we solve the immediate issue there can be a discussion about what humanitarian efforts should take place on the other side of the border right but but once again i i err on the side of less federal government spending smaller federal government allow private citizens to donate their own money to the charitable causes they believe in and dc seems to be more than willing to let you pay out of your own pockets for this because since the launch of operation lone star the multi-agency effort has led to over 495,400 illegal immigrant apprehensions and more than 38,300 criminal arrests with more than 34,700 felony charges 
In the fight against the fentanyl crisis, Texas law enforcement has seized over 453 million lethal doses of fentanyl during this border mission. That's had to come out of your own state's budget. You're blessed to have a very successful state budget, um, but I think the money could be probably spent much more wisely, right? I know you're running for federal office, but you are a Tennessee citizen. You can't love that. Yeah, absolutely. The The fact that Texas has such a, a, a huge economy makes it so that Texas can shoulder this and it, and it can stand up for itself and it can protect our southern border if the federal government will unchain it, right? However, um, it is frustrating to watch our state have to step up and fill in for the federal government, right? Um, because it's failing to do to hold up its end of the bargain, right? And that that's why I think that's why a lot of people there there there's a pretty strong voice for the Texas nationalist movement or Texas secession or whatever. Um, it, it's I wouldn't say that it's you know favored among the majority of Texans, but right, it, it's a loud enough voice now that people are kind of looking like, oh wow, people are actually serious about this. Um, and it's because people have this very real sense of, of the fact that Washington, D.C. has essentially abandoned us, you know, here in Texas. And I I am not on board with secession or Texas. Um, I am not ready to give up on the United States of America. I wore the patch on my shoulder. I'm very proud to say that I did so. And I think if we quit one time, we're going to keep quitting. So th- that that's neither here nor there. But the, the thing that we're seeing here in Texas is that people people are quite fed up and um you know, it's not it's not just on the current administration. Right. And they're definitely accountable for it. But my my thing is, hey, 20 years ago, Congress should have been doing a lot more to secure the board because it was an issue then, too. But instead, we chose to send trillions of dollars and thousands of American lives overseas to go fight wars that didn't really, in the end, have a really measurable impact on our own national security. So um that we, we could have had this figured out money wise a long time ago, but now we still have to argue over the, the border spending every single year, whereas social welfare spending is just baked into the budget. It doesn't have to get argued over. It's already signed into law. Right. And so um, there, there's some pretty significant financial restructuring that needs to happen at the federal level so that the border doesn't have to continue to always be an issue. If we have the funding there and the policies in place to just ensure the rule of law. It's not a racism thing. It's not anti-immigration. It's just quite simply, you've got to come the right way. And like, that's just the way it is. Yeah, for sure. Just last month, Governor Abbott announced that over 100,000 migrants have been transported to sanctuary cities as part of Texas's migrant transportation strategy to relieve overwhelmed border towns. Texas has also bussed over 12,500 migrants to Washington, D.C. since April 2022, over 37,100 migrants to New York City since August 2022, over 30,800 migrants to Chicago since August 2022, over 3,400 migrants to Philadelphia since November 2022, over 15,700 migrants to Denver since May 18th, and over 1,500 migrants to Los Angeles since June 14th. I think that's great for Texas, but why not deport them? Sending them into the interior is causing incredible harm to those counties and they don't stay in the city. So crime is up in rural red areas, too. Why bust them elsewhere? Why not send them home? Yeah, I think the point that Texas is trying to make is there's there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of loud voices elsewhere in the country that are saying are dilate are diluting 
the the emphasis on the border issue, right? Hey, this isn't as big of a deal. These people are just trying to make a living, come come enjoy the American dream. Sure, like some of that might be true, but the fact of the matter is, like you pointed out with all those statistics earlier, is the humanitarian crisis, the people who are poor and just desperate for a new life, they're being used as shields by human traffickers, drug cartels. Um, and it's not just people coming from, from Latin America. Chinese, Russians, so that there's spies, there's saboteurs coming over, right? That it is a much larger issue than just a humanitarian refugee type situation. And so Texas is sending these these migrants to different parts of the country that are claiming to be, you know, well, we're we are we are a uh, sanctuary city. Sanctuary city. Thank you. We're a sanctuary city, and 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 or our state has sanctuary cities, and we're very open to this. Texas is trying to help the rest of the country feel what it's dealing with so that they realize the gravity of the decisions that they're voting on in Washington, D.C. that don't really affect them until Texas makes a point about it. Right. So um, it was long overdue. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But as a government, um, uh, someone's going to pay for it and may as well be their own home countries if they could. Um, Governor Abbott shared footage of progress being made in the construction of Texas's own border wall. You are the only state in the U.S. in the U.S. state history to build its own border wall. So you are kind of going it alone for sure. All right. So to you, your campaign website talks about your military experience where people come together from every social class, race, political party and religion under one united under one flag and one purpose to protect our nation. I love that. But the left doesn't unite under race or the flag anymore. They divide us. Is your opponent hitting you on those patriotic themes and this talk of Texas going purple or God forbid blue? Any truth to that? So my, uh, my opponent, he's a Republican. We're, we're facing off in the Republican primary here in district 10. Um, but many would argue that I'm pretty far right of where his stance is. Okay. Um, now, as far as the, the, the left, and um, you know I, what I mentioned in the in the bio, right? People coming together in the military. We're all we all have one. I served with a lot of people who were voted Democrat, right? And these are people that, that worked really hard, and we had different ideas, we had different principles, right? But nonetheless, they were Americans. And so um, I I I think that the big issue here in District Ten is not really. It's it's largely a Republican district, and there's there's a pretty uh, pretty significant advantage that the Republicans have in our district, right? And I think the biggest question amongst our district is not whether or not um, a Republican is going to win, or or whether or not conservative values should prevail. We we've we've pretty well have that that majority in our district. the The big issue that we're seeing is Republicans who aren't necessarily voting as a conservative on legislative issues. And what I mean by that is it's one thing to have the name Republican and to, and to be on the Republican ticket to, to, you know, say that you're red and proud of it. Right. But when it boils down to it, um, what are, what are our conservative values, right? Small federal government, you know, more States rights, um, morals, right. You know, right to life, We can go on and on about what our conservative values are and what we find too often in our career Republican incumbents, for example, 
is they get to DC, they get used to how the system works. Um, you know, they, they got the PAC money, the lobbyist money. They're they're hanging out with elites all day. They they don't come back to visit the district and hold public town halls, you know, because they don't need to. They have the money to just saturate the market with their message whenever election time comes through. And what we find is a very a very um, disconnected base of Republicans that are representing us in D.C. that aren't actually voting based on what conservatives in their district really want, right? And and so I, I think that there's 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 a shift that needs to happen in, in campaign finance laws. There's a shift that could happen with term limits that could that could you know force our elected officials to rely more on the voter and less on the donor. Right. And uh, it, it would be nice if all the donors were in the district, but they're just not. Right. I think what you're trying to say is uh, back in 2022, your Republican primary opponent beat his Democrat challenger 63 to 34. So mm -hmm. pretty strong showing for Republicans. Um, do you think D10 is disappointed in him? He voted yay on both National Defense Authorization Acts and he has a 47 percent liberty score, which is an F. Not what yeah. I'd expect from a Texan after 17 years in D.C. Yep. Uh, there, there is a really significant uh, disaffection with him. Um, the The last 20 years, I think he's only been challenged a couple of times. And the last time he was challenged was in 2018. Uh, that, was, that was also right before redistricting. So there is a significant amount of people who are kind of new to the D district in 2020 or after 2020. And so we've had a couple of cycles now for those kind of newcomers to District 10 who came in uh, up in the north and, and some in the in the east. And they're realizing, oh, this guy isn't actually voting the way that we want him to. He's just kind of voting for himself and for what other elites in D.C. think that they want. They're not really connected to what we want. So when I when I, I filed my candidacy, um, filed my ballot application in Texas on the first day that the application opened up. And since then, I've had three other people tell me that they had their packet, their ballot application ready to go because they were so sick of watching this guy run unopposed. And the, the main reason he's ran unopposed most of these years is because he's like the third or the fourth wealthiest member of Congress. And nobody around here thinks that they stand a fighting chance actually running against him because he has so much money. Mm -hmm. And so it just it took someone it took a, it took an infantryman who is used to I was trained to fight uphill battles when I'm outnumbered three to one and win right and and so will i win i don't know it's yet to be seen on tuesday right but at the same time that's why i stepped up because i have that i have that boldness i have that kind of crazy you know nothing to lose spirit and attitude we're not rich i'm not a millionaire i don't have a ton of money to throw into this but we've been working the streets super hard we've been to uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of events across the district the opponent hasn't showed up to any 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 of those um and so that that's really what we're that's what we're all about is, hey, yeah. like people need to step step up and challenge their congressman when they're not happy with them. Because if you just if you just put your head down and be like, ah, well, he's too rich. Nobody could beat him. Then we're just accepting the status quo. And that's not OK. I've heard Texas is the best state in the nation for retired uh, veterans, because I don't think you have to pay um, property tax at all. Real, uh, Right. Free property taxes. The VA actually cares about you compared to the state I come from. Well, I'll take it wherever they can get it. They treat veterans very well there. So you're doing you're, you're ahead of the yeah. curve by having your family there. Yeah. OK. Um, you wrote this campaign is not an attempt to get rich or to inflate my career. I'm going to get the job done and then move aside for new leadership and ideas. 
why would you not want to stay as uh, you know a long time and fix all these problems do you think two years is enough to get it done and with you know it happens to be very dysfunctional up there in dc even the republicans they can't even pass a budget you think a short time is enough yeah so the uh the promise that i'm i'm making my constituents is if you elect me i will stay for four terms max and then after four terms it doesn't matter how much you like me i'm done um and the reason I say that is because, you know, people are very suspicious of long-term career politicians, especially around here. They're very suspicious of them. And the longer you stay in D.C., the more disconnected you get with reality, right? What people feel, what people think. You you, you know, what we find is, that, is our congressman gets on TV and he starts to educate us on what we should think or how we should think, not – not come back and ask us, you know, like, Hey, tell me what you think, you know, or, or tell me what concerns you. So I actually, the job of our Congressman is to represent us, not lead us or educate us or, or any of those things. It's, it's to represent us in order to represent someone, you have to go back and know them. So um, the reason I'm promising only four terms is because a, that's the promise that I have 100% control over. Nobody else has control over that promise. And so that's an opportunity for me to prove my word, right? But it's also a safeguard that I'm putting in place for myself, knowing that I, as a man, am fallible just as anybody else. And you know, I'm going to show up in D.C. on day one as a freshman and realize how business gets done. And I'm going to be assimilated and, and kind of just institutionalized in, into the establishment because that's the only way to accomplish anything. And so I am... I'm making that promise so that I'm not reliant on the powers that be in DC. I'm more reliant on the voters at home, right? Okay. Uh, your priorities that you list are eliminate the national debt, Oof. 34 trillion now, and they want to get Ukraine and Israel another 95 billion. So they may not agree with you up there. Secure our national borders. We talked about that, but 30 minutes. How in the world? All right. How in the world could they try to pass that 5,000 illegals a day average limit? in the last border bill shouldn't it be zero right it should be Um, zero it should be zero so that's ridiculous defend the bill of rights oh boy they don't seem to have even read the constitution up there much less the bill of rights uh they certainly don't appreciate state sovereignty or states rights under obama they went after arizona for trying to enforce the federal immigration laws they didn't like how do you plan on getting speaker mike johnson's attention to be an originalist uh, he's not a, he's Louisiana, you're Texas, obviously much more important. Yeah. And lastly, you say, well, uh, uh, enact congressional term limits. That's been proposed many times. Um, how, how do you propose to get that done this time? Yeah, we wouldn't need term limits if campaign finance laws were different. Uh, under, under the current set of campaign finance laws that we have, I think term limits is a tool that we can use to realign, shift that power from the donor back over to the voter, right? And if donors and voters were the same person, then there wouldn't be an issue, but they're not. So uh, term limits, it's going to be a tough fight for anybody to let go of power, right? Not many people in Washington, D.C. want to willingly say like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to vote for this because out of the goodness of my heart, I think it's right. Not many people do that anymore. So at the very least, I'll fight for campaign finance reform. And, uh, you know, essentially just try to do the right thing. And at the end of the day, lead by example and step away after four terms and show that it can be done. Okay. Uh, you also say minimize foreign entanglements. 
George Washington told us not to get involved in European problems. We didn't listen. Now we have 178 nations with diplomatic missions in the United States. Uh, 178. I think there are only 179 countries. We aren't the world police, you said. We're the world's welfare. U.S. foreign aid spending recently surpassed $70 billion in appropriated funds for the first time in 70 years. U.S. foreign aid obligations jumped from $56.3 billion in 2021 to $70.4 billion in 2022. It increased to more than 25%. You should have been there already. And there are only three years on record when the U.S. devoted more to foreign aid. 1947, 1949, war, 1951. You sure you want to go to D.C.? <laughs> Trust me, I ask myself that every day whenever I'm walking streets and doing doors and uh it's a lot of hard work doing a grassroots campaign. Campaigning should be grassroots. That's just the way it should be. It shouldn't be a special thing to be grassroots. Um, but to the foreign aid point, a lot of people accuse me of being an isolationist. A lot of people accuse me of being anti-Semitic because I don't want to send funds to Israel. A lot of people accuse me of being anti-democratic because I don't want to protect Ukraine. That's not true. The, the point is we have so many pressing issues here in our own country, not to mention a a a horrible example of a balanced or a, the national checkbook right is not balanced it hasn't been balanced in over 20 years we need to shore up things at home before we start lobbing billions and billions and billions and trillions of dollars overseas at foreign conflicts that don't have a measurable effect on our national security or our commerce right and so i have a very open mind i think outside of the box i think that there's a lot of things we could be doing differently we need foreign policy reform doing the same thing for 70 years and expecting different results in the wake of failures. Korea was a failure. Vietnam was a failure. Afghanistan was a failure. Iraq was a failure multiple times. Libya, Yemen, Syria, the list goes on and on and on and on. We've got to change the way we do business in order to protect our country and ensure our longevity, not just China and Russia. They love watching us spend money all over the world because it shows how overextended we are and they're, they know our cards. We've been playing the same cards for 70 years. So like we need to change things if we want to continue to have an edge. One of the guys who's been playing that poker game the longest is Senator Mitch McConnell, who just announced yeah. that he's stepping down in November. Thankfully, not. Uh, I'd be nice if it was sooner, but it is sooner rather than yeah. later. Senator right. John Cornyn is from Texas, 72 years old. Uh, he's been there since 2002. Also an F from the Liberty score. Uh, may yep. as well be LBJ, still also from Texas, voted yes on the $300 billion chip manufacturing bailout. Not very Republican. Um, would you be supportive of your fellow Texan if he was the next majority leader? Listen, Texas, Texas identity does not affect who I support. What, what matters is principles. And uh, I would not support Senator Cornyn. Um, I I don't think that he for how for how long he's been there, I don't think he's done enough by way of defending conservative values. Um, he's he's compromised too many times, and uh, there's a lot of people around here that are frustrated and ready for him to go to retire as well. So, um, no, I, I I don't have any allegiance there. Okay, last question. Uh... I'm going to let everybody figure out where to go find you. Texas is very different, man. Uh, they, their own Pledge of Allegiance to state in schools. Legislature meets 30 days every two years. Texas flags on houses and bumpers of their cars. Washington doesn't do any of that. I've never seen a Washington flag flying from a house. Tennessee does. 
uh, $60 billion surplus last I checked, $9 billion of it gone to border security out of your pocket. Why not be in favor of Tennessee going it alone? You don't need this $34 trillion of debt to be saddled to you like the rest of us. You didn't spend it. You, you asked me why why not let Texas go at it alone, or what was the question? Why not be supportive of Texas being independent, the republic of? <laughs> yeah, I like I said earlier, I believe in the United States of America and the U.S. Constitution, and it's worth fighting for. And if we if we decide that after one administration, that you know the, the United States of America is worth giving up on, and all the thousands of soldiers that died in order to defend this country. Over the course of years, the you know if, if we're willing to give up on it after one four-year administration, then that uh, doesn't show very much resolve on our part. And a lot of Texans they think that that they, they think that seceding or or Texit will make things better. At the end of the day, Texas is half blue. Like we have a majority, but it's it's not by much. And um, you know, a lot of the same issues that we're experiencing in D.C., they're going to bubble up again in Austin. And uh, it, it's I don't I, I think we're going to be trading our set of problems, maybe increasing our, 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 our problem set rather than eliminating or reducing the amount of problems that we're facing. So I'm all about the American flag. I, I believe in the United States of America. I'm optimistic about the future. What it takes is good people stepping up to raise their voice and waking up the silent majority because the silent majority have these values and they believe in it. And um, that that's where I fall on it. So I, I do good. not support okay. Texas. Well, 900 miles wide, 500 miles top to bottom. It is a big place. It matters quite a bit. And I hope it stays red for the rest of my life because I don't want to live in a country that has a blue Texas. That's for darn sure. Uh, Jared, thank you for your time. We are at the end here. So tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you, donate your campaign, uh, maybe you have a blog or social media. Yep. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, my name is Jared Lovelace. You can find me at jared2024.com. That's J-A-R-E-D 2024.com. And you can read about my platform. You can uh, – uh, there's links to donate as well. We don't need a lot of money. Uh, five bucks from a lot of people can do a lot. Now, at the end of the day, what I need everybody to realize is this race, just because it's in Texas, does not mean that it – that it doesn't affect you. This race in particular affects you significantly. My opponent is the chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. If you're tired of money going overseas and not balancing budgets, passing continuing resolutions and, and deficit spending without end, you need to tune into this race because my opponent is very influential in DC circles and he is the, the poster boy of, of, of the globalist movement in DC that is, that is running us bankrupt. And so, um, I'm not going to be chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee if I get elected, but ousting this guy in the Republican primary would do a lot to show D.C. a message, to give D.C. a message about what conservatives across the country really care about. And um, we need to make that statement. So if you can, please, if you know people in Texas, share my website with them. If you can send me five bucks, that'd be great. We can do a lot with a little bit. Thank you. And I think early voting has begun. So get out there and take care of that. Uh, election day is what, March 5th? March 5th, next Tuesday. March 5th, next Tuesday. All right. Well, good luck. We hope to have you back again one day with some positive and good news. Thank you for your time. Thank you.
Hey, this is Monty Fritz. I'm a House District 32 representative from Roan County, Tennessee. I represent Roan and parts of Loudoun County, County, Tennessee, and I'm here with you on the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Southside so whiskey whisper low. Little sweet nothing southernism jacking seven sipping hoping that so digging on me. Talking Texas. All right, Steve, <laughs> what do you think of our guest? Dude, um, I would I would I would support him in a heartbeat, man. He's told me he said exactly all the wars that did nothing but make a lot of money for um big corporations and hurt a lot of people, killed a lot of people, maimed a lot of people, and here we got another ninety five billion tag to go across some other countries. And I'm 100% with him on that. And I didn't realize that Texas had, well, you know, let's be honest. The guy you said is wealthy. He probably has made his money in, uh, maybe he makes money in military uh, so-called contracts or something like that. So he's big on shoving money offshore that come, as you know, it goes out and then it comes back. It goes out, it comes back. And it doesn't do you and I any good at all, Steve. So I, I'd, I'd support no. that guy. But yeah, I'm not living in Texas. <laughs> Jared Lovelace. But you don't have to, he said. He's right. Out-of-state money is going to help make the difference against a guy who can self-finance. Okay, so uh, let's do it. Apple cancels plans to build an electric car. Apple will wind down its team working on electric cars, according to Bloomberg. The news signals an end to Apple's secretive effort to build a car to rival Tesla from Texas now. Reports of Apple ambition to build a car first surfaced in 2014. As part of its silence, Apple hasn't outlined its expenditures in the auto space. Overall, the company spent about $30 billion on research and development in 2023 alone, a 14% increase over the prior year. The company has other automotive-related projects, including its infotainment CarPlay software, which Apple says is installed on 80% of new vehicles. Hmm. All right, the House GOP defense against hardliners is about to get weaker. If Republicans can hold the majority, they'll likely have to wrangle a block of even more emboldened conservatives who made their name by fighting their own party. Sound familiar? We just had a conversation with Jared Lovelace about this. <laughs> House Republicans are facing a growing exodus of experienced and talented members that added up to an alarming political maturity drain. A growing number of their well-respected members are fleeing Congress as the conference pulls further to the right and the departures are starting to spark worries about a further erosion of GOP lawmakers' appetite for the basic task of governing. Oh, when asked, uh, Steve, is, that sounds like good news to me, doesn't it? It is. When asked by some reporters earlier this month about the House GOP's high number of experienced retirees this year, McCarthy, gone, linked the exits to the water that's displaced by removing your hands from a bucket of water. Don't know what he's talking about. You'll put it in. No, you'll pull it out, and there's a hole, McCarthy said, but it'll get filled. You want to make sure it gets filled by the right people. What, people that have deep pockets that want our money? (laughs) I don't miss him. He was one of the first to go, and now the exodus will continue, and hopefully more guys like Lovelace that don't have F Liberty scores out of the gate can make a difference. 7,300% spike. Does that sound like a lot? Oh, huge, huge. 
That's the amount of immigrants from Venezuela America has experienced this year alone. Um, Crime is down in Venezuela. I wonder why. It's up in the United States. Hmm. I wonder if they're emptying out their jails and sending them north. I think they are. California residents take border security into their own hands. A group of military veterans based in Southern California has been repairing damage to walls and fencing along the state's border with Mexico in a bid to discourage illegal immigration. The work has been organized by border vets, with the group sharing images and video on social media showing its members using razor wire to block gaps that have emerged in border defenses. Illegal immigration over the southern border has become a heated political issue with a recent Manmouth University poll finding that 84% of Americans think it is either a very serious or serious issue. Former President Donald Trump, the clear favorite for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, has made the issue one of the centerpieces of his campaign for a second White House term. Border Vets has primarily been operating in the mountainous area around Jacumba Hot Springs that has become a major migrant crossing point in recent months. Speaking to Border Report, a website that covers illegal immigration across the U.S.-Mexican border, retired Marine and Border Vet member Kate Monroe said, it's really serious for everybody here that we protect our nation. The holes we can find in the wall, we're going to go ahead and get the razor wire and do our best to defend our country. Whoever it is you're waiting to do this for you, they're not coming. It's going to be people like us, people like America's veterans. According to Customs and Border Protection, only official employees or contractors are allowed to work on border defenses. However, Monroe insisted that's not going to stop us or deter us from coming here if we can stop them illegal immigrants for one day one hour one week we've stopped more people from coming into our country monroe also claimed that border patrol agents they've encountered during their activities hadn't raised any objections she also claimed that many of the migrants aren't coming from mexico directly but rather are flying here from god knows where and raised particular concerns about the number of military age men making the crossing In addition to her work with border vets, Monroe is running to be the Republican candidate for California's 49th Congressional District, which is occupied by Democratic Representative Mike Levin. Describing her activities on X on Tuesday, Monroe said, a week ago I I brought razor wire to secure the tiny gap in the border. A few days ago I brought 11 veterans and more razor wire to secure a bigger gap in the border. On Thursday I will have a massive team and supply of razor wire to secure the border. I'm not even in Congress yet, but I have taken more actions on this issue over the past week than the president has in the past three years. Stay tuned for my last thoughts of the week. This is Paul Bradley with GetHedge.io, and you are listening to the Mill Creek, Tennessee podcast. Hi, this is Tina Tobin, and I'm with Tennessee Liberty Network, and you're listening to the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. I was just seeing Chris Stapleton live, as well as Sam Hunt, Keith Urban, uh, Luke Bryant, uh, John Party. You Party, go down the list. I've seen a whole bunch of music this last couple of days, and it ain't over yet. I still got tonight and tomorrow. 
report back next week. But this CRS thing is probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. All right, time for my quotes for the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone, what? To subscribe to the Mill Creek View podcast. Just go to Rumble. It's actually catching on quite a bit. We've had quite a few new subscribers. Thank you very much. And at Twitter.com or at Mill Creek View on Twitter, you can see all of those live shows. I record them just for you. All right, uh, and I hope you like it. Texas is the obsession. For all its enormous range of space, climate, and physical appearance, and for all the internal squabbles, contentions, and strivings, Texas has a tight cohesiveness perhaps stronger than any other section of America. Rich, poor, panhandle, gulf, city, country, Texas is the obsession, the proper study, and the passionate possession of all Texans. John Steinbeck. Only Texas could turn defeat into a legend. Only Texas could turn defeat into a legend and a song and a tourist attraction and a major motion picture. Rosemary Kent, author of the Genuine Texas Handbook, Remember the Alamo is more than just a saying. It's a story about the determined will of a group of Texans fighting for what they believed in against all odds and facing certain defeat. They did what they had to do. That's just what Texans do. And I will go to Texas. You can all go to hell and I will go to Texas. Davy Crockett. The king of the wild frontier. He represented Tennessee in the U.S. House of Representatives and served in the Texas Revolution. Texas has yet to learn submission to any oppression come from what source it may. Sam Houston served as the first and third president of the Republic of Texas. That is it for this episode. Thank you, Jared Lovelace, for reminding us that without a fiscal conservative country, we can't have immigration and a welfare state and expect to remain a country. Don't mess with Texas. Good luck with the campaign and the next generation of Texans in your very house. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See you all next week and next month for more great shows with great guests making a positive change in our community and lovers of truth. Peace in our time and glory to God. Stick around for a clip of me on Mighty 990 FM out of Memphis with Ben Dieter. That was fun, and um, I was at the Ryman today, like I said, with CRS uh, convention. So here is John Party and Luke Bryant duet. See you later. Told John he's playing in the anyway. Here we go. Oh. <laughs> here we go.
in uh, on our phone lines and from Nashville. Steve, thanks for joining the program. How are you? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I cannot complain. So you watch this. You're from that area. You got to go back. So Green or Mark Green, Congressman Mark Green, had announced earlier that the U.S. government was broken. And I'll read his statement that he released when he announced this. Our country and our Congress is broken beyond most means of repair. I've come to realize our fight is not here within Washington. Our fight is with Washington. I'll get your response to that and the idea that he could be running again. Well, I think he's right. Number one, I was actually very shocked and disappointed to hear that he was going to not go back for round two. Um, but, you know, he there was talk of him you know, running for governor and maybe this bill they can't pass that says you can't hold two seats made him think twice about, you know, giving it up to run just in case he loses. Um, but that's quite a ways away from now. Anyway, the governor's race in Tennessee versus his congressional seat. But, you know, he made a promise to impeach Mayorkas for dereliction of duty and lying that our border was closed while 50 million have crossed over. He did get it done. He made a promise and he got it done. The Senate won't do anything about it, unfortunately, even though Marsha Blackburn harps on it on Twitter every day. Um, (laughs) You know, she'd like it done, but, you know, Chuck Schumer won't hold a vote, I'm sure. So, as a congressman, you know, one of 300 and whatever it is, 50 he went in there, said, I'm going to impeach this guy. He did it, but, you know, a Band-Aid on, on the dam. So we'll see. There was reporting where Senator Marsha Blackburn was in the ear of the congressman encouraging him not to stay out of office, but to jump back in. And again, that's what sources confirmed to Fox 17 and Nashville Monday that he, in fact, may run again. Speaking of immigration and you're in Nashville, you saw the quote unquote neo-Nazi protests that, of course, the Tennessee three linked immediately to GOP Republicans in our state. Then you have Justin Jones, who is over in your neck of the woods. We've got Justin Pearson's. Oh, boy. So here he is on the House floor yesterday. And I want you to take a uh, listen to this because it's all over immigration. And now the thinking for these radicals is if you are foreclosing our southern border, well, that makes you a Nazi. Take a listen and cut 19. One day people will look on what we're voting on here, everything we voted on, and say we were on the wrong side of history as a body. That this bill is about deflection and deception and distraction. This bill is not about keeping anyone safe. This bill is about beating up on a vulnerable people who are migrating, who are refugees, who are seeking asylum, which is a human right. And so I ask my colleagues, Representative McCalman, Think about your ancestors. Where are they from? How did they get to Tennessee? And imagine if they were met with the same vitriol that you're putting in this resolution. Imagine if they were called illegal immigrants when they were really children of God. No one is illegal on stolen land. That wall you want to build is crossing indigenous land. That wall, those arbitrary borders you want to build, is crossing indigenous land. Some of the folks coming across the border are indigenous folks just trying to reunite with their relatives and family. And so once again, we stand on this floor offering no solutions, offering nothing of substance, but just offering fear-mongering and hate. 
And that poison has poisoned the body of our politic. That poison, that red meat of racism that we're feeding these white supremacist groups, it'll be no wonder when the next neo-Nazi march will come. Some may argue that this is a neo-Nazi rally happening every time we convene in this body. But what we have to call attention to... And then you hear the House Speaker jump in there because you have Justin Jones calling his colleagues white supremacists and neo-Nazis. Steve? Well... (laughs) He didn't know how to do the Pledge of Allegiance, and he obviously never read a history book to know that the Nazis were actually socialists, which are the people writing his scripts, like Al Sharpson and Joy Reid. So I don't exactly know what he's talking about, other than to say he's very offensive, and he likes to wear skinny jeans. So what I would say about Justin Jones is that he is on very thin ice because he already lost his committees. They just passed a rule that says that if you were expelled, you are not allowed to come back from your city. So he's basically destroying the opportunity to be an agitator because he's agitating the Speaker of the House who doesn't tolerate this stuff. So, you know, six months from now, he may not even be uh, there. But there is some very interesting relationships between that rally of what I would consider uh, feds dressed in red going down Broadway uh, as neo-Nazis and him. Because ironically, the two people who discovered this march when no one else was paying any attention to it was him and the other Justin. And by the way, you called him the Tennessee Three. On my show, that is a uh, taboo statement. The Tennessee Three was um, Johnny Cash's backup band. These are the three J's, Justin, Justin, and Johnson, Gloria Johnson, who somehow dodged the expulsion because i don't know maybe she's a white woman and there's some kind of privilege there not exactly sure no because but, of john gillespie uh, our republican here but continue your train of thought I'll four j's four j's okay <laughs> um yeah so bottom line is i think justin jones is reading from the Saul Linsky playbook and the good news is he didn't have a bullhorn this time because that's against the rules but he's just not winning friends over or influencing people because he's offensive. And uh, Mark Zachary stood up and said, hey, Rule 19, you're out, can't talk anymore. And Speaker Sexton said, oh, good point, you're out, you can't speak anymore. So stop insulting our people. And how when you're in the Congress or an assembly, aren't you supposed to reach across and deal with people and try to get things done? When you're in the ultra-super minority in mm-hmm. Tennessee, 24 to 75, that kind of language is not going to make you friends who are going to say, yeah, sure, let's work on uh, solving crime problems in Memphis or water or uh, taxation or school vouchers. Let's work together. No, not going to happen. He needs to shape up and act like an adult and stop trying to uh, filibuster with uh, Malcolm X speeches written by Jesse Jackson. Yeah, wow. Well said. It's exactly right. And I've said this on the program You know, all of this is to make sure they make appearances on MSNBC's Joy Reid show. There's no question because they get booked every time they do these shenanigans. And it is incumbent on Republicans to not take the bait. Like we cannot play their games because this is how they fundraise. And I've got to give the what you call the three J's a little bit of credit because when they are in a super minority, they don't have a ton of power. But it's this stuff and these national eyeballs that they get when they pull these shenanigans 
that helps them fundraise and helps launch them into a national spotlight. Um, before we let you go, I want to talk about the podcast. You were with my boss, by the way, and some of the great team at KWIM and NRB. So for those just hearing the podcast for the first time, what do you seek to do on the Mill Creek View podcast, Steve? Yeah, I met your boss, Todd Starn, and a lovely Grace, and Alan Pillow was there. We were at Opryland for NRB. That was great. I'm sure you or he has described what NRB is on your show, but it's uh, Christian broadcasters across the country. It was great. And so the show is basically No Creek View, which is Nolansville, um, Tennessee, stories. So I've had uh, today, for example, I have the second of two sheriffs running for uh, Williamson County Sheriff. Um, to replace the 40-year veteran uh, Dusty Rhodes, the legendary Dusty Rhodes, who's been here since uh, I was a baby. So I look forward to that. That's what the stories are. It's people who have something important to say to tell everybody from outside the state how wonderful Tennessee is. Sometimes, you know, the blemishes, not how great it is, but the stories so that if people are like me and they're looking for another place to live and they want to know what they're getting into, if they want to choose Tennessee over Texas or Florida or any other state that like I came from a blue state that's completely lost to the to the CCP, um, this is what they'll come into. So I've had Marsha Blackburn on. I've had your Senator Taylor, who's amazing. Brent Taylor, I think, is the one and only guy trying to clean up Memphis, from what I can tell, uh, from the Senate, which is not an easy place to do it from, but got to yeah. start somewhere. You're getting um, those conversations. Hey, we are going to be cut off by the computer. Steve, thank you for joining us. You can find out more information at Mill Creek View. That on X. We'll be right back. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.